0: African Americans make up roughly 13% of the U.S. population. But they make up only 1.2% of the nation's farm owners. These stats are from the USDA, and I couldn't find anything specific about apiaries — that's what you call bee farms — but I suspect the numbers are pretty similar. Systemic racism is a really complex topic, one I'm far from equipped to talk about with any expertise, but there is one more point I want to bring up. The amount of black farm owners has decreased over the past decade. Part of this is due to things like unfair federal lending programs. And another factor is that interest in farming has gone down, especially in black communities. I'm not black, and my ethnicity aside, I had a really privileged upbringing. My parents brought me to the U.S. when I was a year old. I went to a good school. Growing up, it felt like all the possibilities were open to me. But there was one thing that looking back was never brought up. No one ever seriously considered being a farmer in school. At least, it wasn't something my school taught. And as for beekeeping, teachers definitely didn't bring that up as a career path. Today's guest is Kamal Bell, an agriculture educator who's teaching the next generation of farmers and beekeepers, specifically black farmers and beekeepers. About five years ago, as a public school teacher, he walked into his principal's office with a big plan to start a farm. On this episode, we tell the story of what happened. Welcome to Behind the Veil, a show about the people protecting one of the world's most important pollinators. Today's guest is Kamal Bell, the founder of Sankofa Farms. Kamal grew up in Durham, North Carolina. He went to a Catholic middle and high school where most of the students were white.
1: And what I was able to see there was just how resources were allocated. So when I got to North Carolina A&T, it made me really want to engage and embark on a journey and pick up a skill that would be useful to helping the Black community.
0: That skill was agriculture. Kamal studied at NC A&T, North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. His bachelor's is in animal science, and then he went on to get a master's in agriculture education. From the beginning, Kamal's goal was to do something big, something that would reestablish the connection between his community and agriculture.
1: We, we have a tendency to look at ourselves as um, individuals, but an individual doesn't exist. The collective is, exists, and we have to be able to support that collective, in my mind.
0: So we got a job at a public school teaching farming. The school had a small garden, and he saw how engaged students were when they worked on it. But he wanted to do something bigger. So he went to his principal and brought up this idea. What if they got a larger piece of land and created a summer program? When I took to tour, I already saw the students
1: changing. Um, and I thought, I was a little naive at the time, but I thought that's what the system wanted to see. It's like, these kids do better. But they have projected outcomes for these youth, and that's what I... That's why the model of Sankofa is the way it is, to curve those projected outcomes. So when she saw it and it didn't have her name written all over it, she was just like, no, it's not a question for me to ask somebody else in
0: Durham Public Schools. He did just that. He took it to someone else in Durham Public Schools, but they said it would never get funded. They did, however, offer to hire Kamal over the summer to maintain the small school garden.
1: One day, me and the students were out at the garden. Um, after the school after you know the reject- proposal had been rejected, I still brought them with me because I was getting paid to do the like to maintain the garden. The principal leaned up the window and said, "Hey, can y'all get me that squash? I want to take some of it home with me." And I just look. I didn't do it. I, um, one of the students ended up like responding and I just looked at it and I was just like, this is the problem. Like we're working. With students who are affected by food deserts, and you're thinking about squash you can take home, and that was, and that's when I started to see the system exposing itself. Just paying attention, seeing, that many stuff I have like like that that I haven't really explained, um, and told. But ultimately, it let me know that if I wanted to usher and change, it could, it, it's hard to do that work in that space.
0: You've probably already heard of food deserts, but if you haven't. The term refers to low-income areas where people live more than a mile away from a grocery store. People in these areas usually have to shop at convenience stores with limited healthy options. And yes, food deserts disproportionately affect people of color. The USDA estimates that roughly 1.5 million people, or one in 10 in North Carolina, live in a food desert. Needless to say, food deserts are a huge problem, and Kamal wasn't going to let the idea of Sankofa Farms go. In the meantime, he had been running a dehydrated food company under the same name. The name Sankofa is a West African word which means "go back and get it." I've heard Kamal say this means a lot of things, but he usually says this is a reminder to remember his African culture and carry it with him going forward.
1: We were dehydrating these products to get to people who were affected by food deserts and selling at events that were for full, full Black people, and I, I I love that aspect. And when People would come to me at the events. They would say, hey, are you, are you all getting a farm? I see your name is Sankofa Farms. Do you have a farm? And I would tell them, like, I'm attempting to get a farm.
0: And they'd be oh, okay. I kind of brush it off. He saved up enough money from these dehydrated food sales, plus his teaching job, to put toward the operations of a farm. And with the help of a USDA loan, he bought a farm in Cedar Grove, about 30 minutes from the school he taught at. Back at the dehydrated food stand, he told the same people who had brushed off the idea of a farm that he had finally bought the land, but he didn't get the reaction he had anticipated.
1: Like the reaction that you get when you don't have a farm isn't the same when they're asking you. Uh, like when you tell them you don't have one, they're like, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." It seems like they're a little bit more excited when you don't have the farm. So when I went and got it, they're like, oh, "Okay, I'm like, oh, cool." So I'm just like, "All right, we're gonna have to really like." <laughs> There's some barriers that exist culturally with us and farms.
0: The farm Kamal bought it wasn't what you imagine a farm like it wasn't the image you see on a milk bottle no lush fields with rows of vegetables it needed a lot of work
1: the community had been using it as a dump um which i think ties into our story like i was a person who was told like in my, during my educational journey after i got out of elementary school i wasn't like the student that people invested in um i was told that i wasn't going to be like I wasn't going to be nothing in later parts of my educational journey. Um, and I think that helps me. Like, that's just like the, the, like, that's our story. Like, I'm working with kids who society has deemed not to be responsible. The land, like, I mean, has, has deemed not to be important. The land was thrown off to the side and was a dump. And, but through our whole story, we've had people invest in us and support us and we've been able to do that with the land as well and now we're creating something that um we're creating our own system that will work with individuals in any aspect of their life who feels like they weren't supported or they were
0: overlooked the students he had worked with at the school came to help on weekends and during the summer today they grow okra different types of lettuce plus they raise guinea fowl a type of bird endemic to africa it's starting to look like the pastoral image people have in their heads of farms. But there's one more thing that every good farm should have. Beekeeping started actually from our student, Cameron. He, um, in eighth,
1: his eighth grade year, he was like, Mr. Bill, I think we should get bees. Kamal wasn't crazy about the idea. I was like, man, I, I, I don't, like, most people are scared of bees.
0: Like, that's regardless of race. Like, most people are scared of bees. But then, he was introduced to another beekeeper named Matthew. He introduced me to an aspect of beekeeping that changed my life. That aspect of beekeeping? Catching swarms. They were splitting a hive, which is a term for when you get a hive and turn it into two, when it first happened. He looked over his shoulder and he said, oh, there's a swarm. And
1: I'm like, all right, know what the swarm is? And then we caught it. It was rough. I got stung a couple times. I had my veil on, I got stung in my arms, I got stung a couple times, times. Um, my arms are out, and I loved every bit of it. And ever since then,
0: um, the students have enjoyed the uh, bees. They've, they've all gotten certified. So we told the student Cameron, that he could get bees, but if they stung him, he'd need to keep taking care of them.
1: And that's like a principle in life like things aren't easy, and you're going to mess up. Um, things are gonna go bad, people are gonna get mad at you. Um, you're not gonna understand certain things. But you can't quit. Like, there's so many times where I want to quit stuff. And I know that they want to quit stuff. But I asked them, I'm like, what's the, like, have y'all done anything harder than experiencing, like, the ongoing discrimination that we've had? um, The challenges that we have, like, the underfunding. Like, have y'all experienced anything harder than that? And they're like, nah, like. Carmine and Kamani have been there at the farm since it was the dump to where it is now. Not saying it's like a beautiful place, but we're getting it. We're getting it there. It's going to be that uh, this year. But they've experienced all of that. Like those, it's just part of life. Like you're going to experience hard times. Like you got to figure out a way. Like we didn't. We we didn't like when we got when we when we experienced discrimination. We don't say, oh man, it's just the way of the world. We're like, nah. We're just gonna find some people who aren't racist and work with them. So. <laughs> It's just that, like, you have to keep thinking. Um, You can't use anything as an excuse. And I think through our work and our example, all groups, all races and all groups of people will have benefited uh, and will benefit.
0: There was something Kamal mentioned that you may not have caught. All of his students at the farm are certified beekeepers. To get a beekeeping certification, you have to take a course which lasts several weeks, then take a written exam, followed by a practical exam, which actually involves inspecting a live beehive. It's a pretty big deal for his students who are still in high school to have this certification.
1: And I think it's a testament of if, because a lot of people wouldn't think black kids or black people are interested in beekeeping. But once we get the infrastructure, we're gonna create. And that's what we've been able to do with our apiary. So we have a lot of cool things in the making. Um, with the apiary.
0: There's a whole history of African-Americans and beekeeping that I know I personally hadn't thought about and that historians have yet to really dig into.
1: Uh, The first sweetener was honey. And a lot of the enslaved Africans that were bought from Africa were taken from Angola. And Angola was the largest exporter of beeswax in in the beginning of the 17th century. That's where everybody was getting their beeswax. They were the largest exporter of beeswax in the world. So we have a connection to it. Then you go back to ancient Kemet or ancient Egypt, um, and that has a whole other story because the people who I'm talking about um, aren't the people on the land today. So ancient Kemet has the oldest depiction of honeybees um, on the, in the hieroglyphs. The oldest record is on is in the hieroglyph. So th- we have a history of it. But when we were brought here to America, and someone else was, it, it has been able to tell our history it's been throttled so we've always been connected so i start looking at pictures and thinking about the the system of um of slavery and thinking about the the idea of the big house and what's in the big house
0: okay i apologize if i'm interrupting needlessly here i just want to clarify one thing that i didn't know the big house is how slaves used to refer to the plantation owner's house okay that's it back to kamal
1: and I'm thinking about, well, people didn't have electricity, so what are they using for light? Are you using, are you using a lantern? Or are you lighting a room? You're going to use a candle. My, aunt, what's a candle made out of? Beeswax. So there's a system of beekeeping that existed during slavery that um, hasn't been uncovered yet.
0: The last thing I asked Kamal was if you thought the education system could ever be fixed to better serve Black students, and just students in general.
1: I think we need to redefine education. Um, I think we need to, like, the question is that we compose is like, what is the role of the school? And that answer is whatever we say it is. So, people, we need to come together and redefine what the education system looks like. From being a teacher, from my wife being a teacher, from having friends that have been teachers, from having friends that are administrators, there's a stress on teachers in certain communities that shouldn't exist because the school is separate from the community. And the school system needs to adapt and propose curriculum that solves community problems. And it's okay if the education system, I mean, I think it's been pretty obvious that it says it's not going to do that. Like, it's it's not going to do it. So that's fine because we know that. So it's up to us to create, to recreate something that works for us. Like, that's all we, it's not, I don't think it's like a rocket science. Like, it works for some people. And those people should continue to let it work for them, but it's not working for black students. So we need to come up with something different. It's not like I, I'm not a person, I'm not right, reproposing like a uh, um, something radical. I'm just saying, well, instead of trying to push on it, and because we haven't, we've been advocating, we've been doing all these different things, let's redefine what the school looks like from our perspective. Like, and we can still. Interact with the school system, and we can still have joint um, programs, and we can have a joint. We can have all those things, but we, our students need a different type of education. I think that's pretty apparent. Anybody that will disagree can look at the stat, look at the data. (laughs) So I think, um, I think we need to redefine education for Black children.
0: Behind the Veil is hosted by me, Alfredo Salkeld, and produced by Buda Bee Apiary. Buda Bee Apiary installs and maintains beehives and backyards with one mission in mind, help people fall in love with honeybees. In addition to this podcast, we have some other exciting projects in the work. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, at Buda Bee Apiary. And if you want to learn more about Kamal's work, follow Sankofa Farms on Instagram. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A Farms. And as always, Thanks for listening. It means a lot.